G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. Yeah, Brooke asked me the question on my 30th, what do you see for this year and for yourself? And I said, death, that's what I see, that's what I want, Um, that's what I'm chasing. I'm not searching to get free from this stuff anymore because I just know I can't now. I've tried for eight years to get free and, and I can't and it's destroyed me. So I want to die this year. I don't want to make 31. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part five of our special six-part series that tells a multi-generational story of how God works through the lives of broken people. It all began with Helen Marsh, sharing her story of being reunited with her daughter, who she gave up for adoption when she was only 14 years old. Then Helen's son, Jeff Marsh, shared his story of going from thinking he was a nothing to being the founder of Elisha Care, a ministry to broken people. Today, we begin a new chapter in the series as we introduce to you Danny and Brooke Sharp, whose lives intersect with Jeff's in a remarkable way. Danny and Brooke are having a chat and sharing their story with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. In 1998, Brooke and Danny Sharp had reached a low point in their lives, and they met in a detox center. That was the beginning of their journey together, a journey that would go through various peaks and valleys and twists and turns. Welcome to the program, Danny and Brooke Sharp. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having us, Eric. Glad to have you with us, and let's go back to 1998. Well, actually, let's go back before that and find out what happened in your lives that led up to meeting in a detox center. All right, well... um yeah, I suppose I grew up one of five kids with mum and mum and dad was around for a while. He was pretty dysfunctional. He was a, was an alcoholic and um, quite abusive and yeah, so sort of a lot of stuff happened growing up that, you know, I think led to me first, not so much first touching drugs or alcohol, but, but them becoming my friend, them easing my pain. and So you more or less followed the example that your father gave you but yeah. maybe with different substances yeah yeah yep and brooke and i followed the example that my mum gave me i suppose so my mum um i grew up in home with mum and a dad um when i was about 13 my parents separated and mum's addiction with alcohol became very very obvious and yeah she dealt with her pain with that and so i had yeah, watched her throughout my life go in and out of detox and try and get herself better. So when I realised that I had my own addiction, um, mine wasn't alcohol, mine was marijuana, I thought that's the way you fix it. You go into detox and, and get some help. So there you were, both of you in a detox centre. How did you meet? Well, I was 22 at the time when I first realised that you know my alcohol addiction was out of control. And I was in a relationship, but she, my former partner, gave me some, you know, rules to, you need to stop or we're finished. And so I went into detox, well, for her really or for us, and, and it didn't work. 
and and Brooke was in there at the time and yeah my partner came in and finished the relationship when I was in there so I left I got really angry in the detox and I left and um spent the next two days just I had heroin for the first time and and just drank myself stupid really and wow this is going from bad to worse yeah and the staff there knew that I was trying so they got me back in with my mum's help my mum mm-hmm. was in contact with the staff there and because I worried about my safety and yeah and I came back in sort of with a different goal this time I wasn't in there for the girl I was just in there for trying, yourself yeah to try and dry out and, and beat the addiction yeah yeah and Brooke? Yeah, look, I was in there certainly for myself. And, um, yeah, and I had made a connection with Danny. There was something, I remember seeing him jump over the couch. It was this moment of, um, and seeing this real air of confidence about him that I really liked. But I knew that he had a, was in a relationship um, at the same time. And so I wasn't pursuing anything mm-hmm. with him. But when he left, the detox that caused me like that was really quite hard because I could from the moment I met Danny I could see the potential in him Hmm. and so I happened to be in there when he returned I had to stay in there longer than the expected time and so I was there when he returned and yeah so straight away we had organized that we would meet up straight after detox so when he'd finished I'd be there waiting and a romance of course you know soon happened after that when I met Danny, I was thinking, I've got so many years' experience with alcoholism, I can fix this bloke. That mm. was my intent. And so that became a bit of my purpose. Oh, okay. And a bit of my healing was about being able to fix Danny. But I was not focused on Brooke. I wasn't looking out for Brooke. Um, yeah, you, you need that time to reflect on yourself and get yourself better because you can become so codependent and mm. want to fix the other person and vice versa. And not look out for your own recovery. Yeah. yeah. So the two of you yeah. moved in with each other yeah. soon after that? So straight away. Okay. So Danny, uh, obviously he'd left his relationship. He had nowhere to go. And so he moved in with me and my mum at the time straight away. And so we went in there. Danny went in there to get off alcohol. I was in there to get off dope, marijuana. And we achieved that. In the short term, we achieved that. But our first week out, we went away on holidays together, and we took with us acid trips and other drugs. So we weren't about beating an addiction. Mm. We were about beating a substance. And so, yeah, we we had kind of let that go. So your addiction had just moved from one substance to another. Yep, Yep. so that that addiction mentality was still there. We wanted Mm. – the only fun we knew to have was to get high or we didn't know how to do life or do fun without that kind of stuff. From a very early age for both of us, that had been how it mm. was. Mm. Um, our teenage years were spent, both of us, experimenting with different drugs. Mm. wasn't about, you know, riding down a hill fast or going surfing in the ocean. It was about getting smashed, getting high on the weekends. And that was your heritage from yep. your parents. Yep. Now, what was the dynamic in your relationship? My sole purpose was about fixing and helping Danny. Uh, I lost who I was. I didn't really have... So everything hinged on whether or not he was having a good day. Is that kind of how you look at things? Yep. So I let go of all my friends that I had. It was all about Danny. Danny, how would you feel about that? (laughs) 
Well, I didn't realize at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, you were in and out of detox at like six times, is that right? I was, yeah. I've been in and out of there six times and to different rehabs and drug and alcohol counsellors and medications and... Yeah, so I was looking from a young age, from 22, I, I realised that, yeah, I've been searching for to really break the addictions and um, and I tried lots of things, AA, NA, and I just couldn't find anything that worked. So. Yeah, and so for me, um, my addiction really fell wayward. I really thought that I could fix him. So how did that work out for you? It didn't work out for me. What happened? At all. And there was lots of pain, lots and lots of pain in doing that. I guess the moral of the story is you can't fix somebody else's addiction. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't fix somebody else's addiction. And then mm. how did the relationship go? How did you finally reach your low point? Mm. So we had two kids together and Danny had been, from the moment I met him, he'd been trying to get free from um, alcohol. So there was always this element of hope, you know, and when mm -hmm. I fell pregnant with our first child, he would always make these promises that he would stop drinking and I'd cling to that hope because I knew that he wanted to, but he just couldn't do it. And so um, eventually, you know, the, the pregnancy went on and days went on, months went on that he would say, I'll, I'll give up by the time the baby's born. And then, of course, the baby was born and he continued to drink but he continued also to try and go into rehabilitations and detoxes to get help and stuff. But of course, yeah, it just never worked. And so we would be on this merry-go-round, you know, cycle of him going in and out and, and me yeah, doing the best I could at home, um, putting my life, you know, my life was very much on hold anyway because mm. Danny was my focus. Now we had a baby. And then, of course, we had our, our second child. And I just remember this one day, yeah, at home, we had uh, brought our, our house, um, it was quite new, and I was at home and we'd had just another argument that was totally out of my depth. I had no way of managing him. He wanted to drive the car um, while I was drunk. I was didn't want him to take the car. And I remember this moment of standing in the hallway and... I was at the end of my tether. Mm -hmm. I yep. knew that I could not take any more of this life. And so, yeah, I was at a, a bit of a, a loss. What do I do? Where do I go? I had no idea. I had no friends. I had spoken to my mum about it and she was like, you've made your bed, now you're lying it. And I had no idea where I could possibly go. I had a friend whose mum had was working with a local organisation and so I thought I'll give her a ring and see if she knows what I do from here. And so she suggested to me this place called Benwaran, which happened to be 10 minutes down the road. I had vaguely heard of it in the past, but um, my assumption of the place was a where a group of nuns live. <laughs> um and so, yeah, but and I was willing. It wasn't the case at all, but I was at that point, I was willing to go anywhere. I couldn't stay in this home any longer. And I, yeah, I needed to get out. So, what actually is Ben Warren? Yeah, so Ben Warren is a timeout for women and children in need. So, for me at that time, it was a place that I could go to be safe. Um, so, I, I came out there as a homeless single mum, basically. I had left my relationship, I didn't have a home. And here I was at Ben Wareham with a three-month-old and a three-year-old in a tiny little bedroom. 
You're listening to The Story. Our guests today are Brooke and Danny Sharp, sharing about the troubles they had early in their relationship after they met in a detox centre. Next, we'll find out what happens when Brooke goes to live in a home run by a Christian organisation and she's introduced to faith for the first time. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Brooke and Danny Sharp sharing their remarkable life journey with Eric Scatterbo. Before the break, we heard how they met in a detox centre and how that was followed by a troubled relationship. At this point in their story, Brooke has left Danny and has gone to live in a home that's run by a Christian organisation. Next, we'll find out what impact they had on her life. Yeah, so we didn't grow up in a Christian home mm-hmm. in any way, shape or form. Um, my nan went to church. She went to a Baptist church. Uh, that was probably the only indication of any um, Christianity or God factor in, in my world. The only, yeah, the, the, the I guess the most significant thing for me was arriving out at this Christian place was this verse came to me and it was call upon me in the day of trouble, I will rescue you. This first came to you, this even though you had no right. so had, so, Christian upbringing. That's right, right. So, how did you even know this first? So, when I was nine years old, we used to get these lollies given to us if we could remember verses in RE. And, oh, RE class, yeah. religious education yeah, class. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And so, wow. I had planted wanted a seed them. way that's back right. then. Yeah. Wow. And so here I am at this Christian place, and this verse comes to me, mm-hmm. which for me felt was like. It all kind of joined the dots in a sense. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will rescue you. Here I was in... In, in, in the day know, of trouble. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and to actually understand and believe those words is another story mm-hmm. in itself, you yeah. know. So, yeah, there was something going on here. So, you get there. What were your impression of these religious people? Yeah, so that was quite... Because like I said, I was going out and I thought I was going to see a whole lot of nuns out there and (laughs) they weren't wearing anything on their heads. One of the workers actually rode in on her Harley-Davidson motorbike and I was really quite shocked. A religious person... On a Harley, on a Harley. <laughs> with no habit on her head. So, yeah, it was... And completely new experience it was for a you. completely new experience. And the people there were just so different than people I had mixed with in my life. I guess my, my attraction to people had always been people with addictions or people who drank, smoked, you know, all that kind of thing. Whereas these people, they were just different. They had this love about them that I'd never experienced. They had this peace about them that I'd never experienced, yet they had had life and they had had trauma and trouble, but they, yeah, had this peace that was different Mm. than I'd ever seen. And so for me, I started to ask lots of questions. And then what happened? Yeah, so we stayed at Ben Warren. So me and the boys, my two boys, um, stayed at Ben Warren for... Uh, a few weeks and they were able to link us into some services to be able to help us get a house. My thinking was... Independent yeah, of Danny. Independent of Danny. My thinking was I couldn't go back to our family home because I lacked boundaries. There was no 
part of me that could put any safe boundaries in to protect us. I couldn't mm. say no to Danny. So I thought the best way here to move forward is for me to move out of the family home with the boys and set up with the intent that I'd go back six months later. And that's what I said to Danny. I just need to have a bit of a break. Mm. We'll come back together six months later. Well, once I got my freedom, there was no turning back for me. I loved the freedom. I loved that I could have friends and not have to worry about um, him. I loved that I could raise the kids how I wanted to. Um, I had started to ask questions at Ben Warren about this God thing, but really felt like I'm not worthy of it. Mm. I do bad stuff. How can I possibly be one of those Christian people? How could God possibly love me? I've done some mm. really bad stuff. And so that really put a, a blockage in the way of me grasping it wholly. Mm -hmm. So I continued but to ask questions because that's what I do. And then I eventually decided to go and do an alpha course because, again, it was a place that I could ask lots of questions. And so I went along with all my vulnerability and all my mess and I asked lots and lots of questions. And, of course, an alpha course is kind of like an introduction to the Christian faith. It is, yes. Yeah. So, so it's perfect running. for somebody yeah. with a lot of questions. Yeah, yep. And again, I wasn't certain on this whole God thing, but I wanted my questions answered. And so I went there and I got my questions answered. But the main question being, could he love somebody like me? Yeah. Yeah. And that question has been a journey in itself, mm. you know. So it wasn't a moment, but there was a moment at this Alpha course where they invite people to come up and receive Jesus. So what does that look like? They just ask if people want to come up and invite Jesus into their life. And I thought it was ridiculous. I'm not getting up there. There's no way I'm getting up there. But I eventually found myself standing up there. And when that happened, for me personally, when they began to pray, I had a physical experience that I had never, ever experienced in my whole life. So for me, I had this trembling that went on in my body and some tears that were so deep in me just poured out, poured out and kept on pouring out. But it wasn't just a cry from my heart. It was a cry from the bottom of my belly. Mm. And that, that moment in itself left me without a doubt that Jesus was real. There was no turning back from that moment. I just, I, I had friends who were so skeptic and they would challenge me, but I couldn't deny what had happened to me physically. And I'm such a feelings person. I can understand why God used mm. that for me. And so, yeah, the journey began from that moment of continuing to find out who is, who is God, who is Jesus. Yeah. So you put your faith in Jesus. You're now a new creation. Your life is starting to grow in a, a whole new way. Mm. Meanwhile, Danny, you're back living by yourself without your wife and kids, and your wife is also not religious. How did you feel about all this? Yeah, well, I mean, when Brooke left, I I felt like I had freedom too. Brooke talked about her freedom, but I had freedom too. I had no responsibilities and yeah, I start. I was twenty seven by the t when Brooke left, and so the next three years are just, just like a blur. Really, they were just. I was in a fog, permanent drug induced fog, really. And Brooke had 
started to get her life on track. I'd seen that. Mm. Um, I had no upbringing of Christian faith or anything. I didn't know anything about it really, but I chose, I chose to hate it, and I knew nothing about it. I just thought, how can you believe in this thing that you can't see? And it made me made me get angry. Made me think that she's got my boys around other people that are brainwashed, and I don't want my kids around brainwashed people. Or you know, I'd go and occasionally visit my kids, and I'd see at their new house, I'd see that their life's changing, and and Brooks in charge, and and the kids are responding to that, and and they would sit on the couch and read their Bible and. A kid's Bible that you know one of these nuns had bought, <laughs> um, and it and I was burning up inside. I was so angry. That was just getting you mad. Yeah, I, I was already an angry person. I was just angry. So you wanted no part of it. No, no part of it. Um, I'd see Bibles. I'd I'd rip up my kids' Bibles. I'd set them alight, whatever. Wow. Just to get rid of them, and and I didn't want my kids to go to church. I would go and kidnap them if she took them to church, and and that really wasn't. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why. I think I didn't want Brooke to sort her life out, um, because mine wasn't getting sorted out. Mine was only going downwards, and and I wanted her to hurt as much as I did. Mm. I didn't want her to have a good life. I wanted her to look after my boys because I clearly couldn't, but I didn't want her to be happy. Just being honest about what was going on inside of you. That's- yeah, yeah. I felt like she deserved the same pain that I was in, but she she wasn't. Yeah. And that just drove you nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost killed me. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why, do, why do you mean it almost killed you? Well, I got to a point, I was quite sick. I dropped down to about 60 kilos and... And wow. I was just, you know, I really was physically sick just from mm-hmm. a lot of drug use and alcohol. And and Brooke brought the kids over for a weekend stay with me, but I was in no state and I locked myself in the kitchen and the boys came and knocked at the door and and I couldn't get up and answer the door. I, was, I just, yeah, I was too sick and I listened to them knock and, and then they started crying because Dad wasn't there and they couldn't stay for the weekend. And Brooke carried them off and just loved them, continued to love them. And, and I watched them out the window. I watched Brooke carrying the boys back to the car and I saw how much she loved them. And it was that day that I I really wanted to die. I just... I'd got to a point where I just could not look at anybody, face anybody, even my own kids. And I was in so angry at Brooke as well and just angry at myself and life that, yeah, I wanted to die. It's the first time I knew I really wanted to die. But then what happened? Well, I was yeah about 29 or nearly 30 at that stage. I'd just been going hard really for the last... 10 years or so, um, yeah, I was having my 30th. Brooke brought the kids over to see me. We were at a river in Yarra Junction. It's, I didn't have friends. I didn't have anybody, so I didn't see family or whatever. And, yeah, Brooke asked me the question. 
on my 30th, what do you, what do you see for this year and for yourself? And I said, death, that's, that's what I see, that's what I want. Um, that's what I'm chasing. I'm not searching to get free from this stuff anymore because I just know I can't now. I've tried for eight years to get free and, and I can't. Wow. And it's destroyed me. So I want to die this year. I don't want to make 31. Brooke, what were you thinking? Mm. Yeah, look, we'd, we, I believed him. I absolutely believed him because we had lived through episodes of him trying to take his life and things. So I knew that he was capable of it. So it was a bit of a hopeless situation. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to stop it right there because we've run out of time. But we invite you to join us again next time for the conclusion of our special six-part series. And we'll find out how God turns Brooke and Danny's whole situation around. Also, we'll hear next time how Brooke and Danny's story intersects with Jeff Marsh's story in a remarkable way. Jeff, of course, was our guest last time. Meanwhile, if you'd like to learn more about the home for women that Brooke went to stay at, their website is Warren. Dot com dot au. That's benwerin.com.au. Well, I hope you've been enjoying the awesome way that God has been working in the lives of the people featured in this six-part series. If you've missed any of the parts, you can listen to them online at vision.org.au. Just look up the podcast, The Story. Until next time, when you hear the last part in our special six-part series, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I just wanted to see and meet this guy who works with addicts. He asked me a bit about myself. I told him, you know, what was going on. And and then he shared his story with me. And it was quite similar to mine. And, and I found myself sitting there crying, listening to this man tell me about how he lost his son through alcohol. And I just broke. I hadn't cried since I was a kid. In 1998, Danny and Brooke Sharp met in a detox centre. And that was the beginning of a troubled relationship that would lead to many peaks and valleys and twists and turns. We'll hear how God turns their whole situation around next time. The Story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.